This is such a classic innovator's dilemma issue, which is you can clearly see the direction you have to go to take the business to the next level, but you recognize that by taking it to the next level, you risk your existing model. Hey everyone, it's Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. I was the co-founder and first CEO of Netflix, but Netflix was actually my fifth startup. I learned a lot in my four decades as an entrepreneur, and now helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. On each episode of this podcast, I speak with entrepreneurs at every stage of their journey, and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, do what I can to get to the bottom of whatever might be holding them back. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. Today, we're going to talk about everyone's favorite part of entrepreneurship, the pivot. That wholesale change of strategy which almost every startup has to go through, sometimes multiple times, on its path to a repeatable, scalable business model. But sometimes, the challenge isn't knowing where to go. It's figuring out how to get there. It's about transition, how to take a partially successful model and migrate it to a more successful one without losing the partners, employees, and customers who got you there. As you'll learn in a few minutes, my guest today, Nunzio, already has a good business, but he has a grander vision for his company. And to get there, he'll have to make some big moves with even bigger risks. But isn't that what being an entrepreneur is all about? Have a listen, because today is a good one. Hey, Nunzio, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm excited. I think the last time we actually spoke in person, you had me as a guest on your podcast. So I hope you treated me well, because I remembered, and uh, now it's my chance to turn the tables on you. But I actually am kind of interested in chatting with you today, because actually you're a bit more established than most of the entrepreneurs that I do speak to. So I think as a way to kind of kick things off, I'd love for you to take just a moment and talk about what you're doing now. What is the problem that you're solving? And then you can kind of lead right into what it is you might want to chat about today. For sure. And thank you so much for having me, Mark. And, and you're absolutely right. We chatted almost a year ago and ever since then, been following what you're doing and love the advice you give entrepreneurs and startups. But you're right. We've been around for eight years. But I think one thing that aligns with maybe other people on the podcast is we're constantly reinventing ourselves. We kind of see ourselves as always in startup phase as we're continuing to grow and find better ways to service our audience. I could give a quick overview of what we did and how we started and where we're planning to go. So in 2012, I had a business myself while I was attending university and I was looking to sell it, but I was hit with many barriers. Brokers thought we were too small. Realtors would tell me that they'd rather sell a house. And the overall user experience on the internet in 2012 just didn't give me the confidence I needed. So I told myself back then, I set out a goal to create a seamless, supportive, and resourceful community where people can buy and sell businesses in the micro market. And we define that as anyone looking to sell a business under $5 million. With that said, we launched in 2014. Uh, and since then, we've facilitated over $2 billion in transactions, and we've grown to a community of over 40,000. And why I say that I could probably align with many others that have been on the podcast is because 
we're currently in an expansion stage right now. We're reinventing ourselves and sort of starting all over. And we're aiming to become more than just a listing platform. We're looking to develop now a selling tool that will actually digitize, streamline, and automate the entire buy and sell experience for our buyers and sellers. Rather than providing a platform that is mostly targeted at brokers, our new tool gives us a way to offer services to entrepreneurs and small business owners directly. Those entrepreneurs and small business owners that really don't require the one-on-one attention and expertise of a broker, but still requires some more guidance to them if they were going to sell their business privately. So it's a new niche for us and we're super excited. Let me make sure I understand this because I think there's a picture developing in my head. I want to make sure I have this right. So previously, you were much more of, like you said, just a matching service where people could come and list businesses, but the people listing it was usually not the business owner, but was in fact a business sales broker. Exactly. And then people who wanted to buy it would come there, get connected. In other words, in essence, if I can use an analogy, you were a place where real estate companies could list their current listings for sale. But if you wanted one of those houses, you couldn't just buy it from you. You would then contact that real estate company who would then exactly. get an agent involved and you have the whole rigmarole. So you were just making the connection. Exactly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned that you were aiming to basically focus in the market of under $5 million for sale businesses. In fact, is that what is the current market? Is that what most of the transactions are for businesses of that size? Exactly. Those are the businesses that, in my opinion, create the backbone of our economies. They are the most difficult businesses to sell because most are not prepared or organized. So we really see ourselves as playing in this niche market where we can really help guide them, prepare them, and get them connected with the right buyers. And a lot of those small businesses are simply ignored from brokers. And we're trying to be more than just this matchmaker. We're going to digitize that experience for them and save them money as well along the way. The reason that you think that you want to step in and actually become in some ways the broker yourself there's a couple of different things you threw out there is the driving one one is companies don't get served very well by a broker uh, but back up a second what's the revenue what's the commission yeah so generally brokers will charge anywhere from eight to twelve percent on the sale of the business And when you step back, you think about these micro businesses and these small mom and pop shops that are looking to sell, you know, they're using that to fund their retirement. So that's a blow to the pocket. And we're trying to address that as well. Like, how can we create an experience in a marketplace that automates the experience, digitize it, provides them with the resources needed to exit, save money and start the next chapter of their life? I know. I'm just trying to drill into what is the motivation for you trying to use a ridiculous word, disintermediate between the uh, brokers and the customers. And it sounds like a few of them that you rattled off. One is, even though it's pretty big, four or $500,000 commission, for a broker, it's small. Yes. In other words, they'd rather spend their time selling a $25 million business than selling a $4 million business. So they don't get very much attention. The second one, it sounds like, is even though it's eight to 10% for someone that's their entire nest egg. $400,000 commission is a lot of money and they'd rather keep a bigger piece of that for themselves. And I guess fundamentally you believe you can probably do a better job than even the broker who's trying hard because of all the digital tools. In other words, you, it's, it's not just a focus thing for the brokers. It's that 
they're old fashioned. These are guys named Leo yeah. in a second floor office using the telephone and chewing on a cigar. That's kind of how I picture this. <laughs> exactly. And, and we're leveraging strong technology, like I said, to really streamline that entire experience. And moving forward, there's a lot of small business owners in the micro market that are using strong technology and integrated platforms where they could simply integrate with our dashboard and they could quickly be transparent on the health of their business. For example, they have integrations with Stripe or PayPal, and that could quickly provide you know, the financial health to that buyer instead of going through a broker, figuring out what this business is worth, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of technologies that we're leaning on that can make it more realistic for a small business owner to leverage a platform like us in the micro market. And we're going to do that all through our dashboard through, we call it a chat box that really consolidates and makes everything transparent. It sounds like you've probably sold over time four, five, six hundred businesses. So a pretty good track record. You've seen yeah. what happens here. How do you make money in the existing model? That's why we're constantly reinventing ourselves. Right now, our current model isn't scalable. We have a listing term. It's a flat fee to list your business on our site. And we connect you with potential buyers and that's it. It's only $150 for three months of promotion. And then we also have a subscription model for our brokers that give them unlimited listings and leads. But for the amount of work that we're putting in on the back end, it's just not a lucrative and scalable model. So what we want to do is we want to deepen our relationship with the business owners and entrepreneurs directly. We want to deepen our technology and the experience for them and then get involved in a more scalable model where it's basically be a take rate model where we can make a lot more money off the success of a listing rather than saying, hey, seller, you need to pay us X dollars in order to have a listing live. Now we're going to say, hey, you can list your business for free, but based on success, and based on you using our technology, we're going to set you up for success. We're going to take it at the end. Gene Nunzio, this sounds suspiciously like the exact same pitch the broker would be making. Exactly. The difference is we're not going to be charging 8 to 12%. We're going to use technology. We're going to use the fact that we're automating the entire experience. So we're going to be saving them a lot. You know, Our commissions are going to be as low as 1% versus uh, a broker that could potentially be charging as high as 12%. Wow. So that's a pretty remarkably large reduction. Yeah. Taking it from 8 10% down to 1%. It would seem like people would flock to you for that. But I guess ultimately, what does the broker think they deliver that makes it worth 10%? Is there a lot of services above and beyond the fact that they actually find a buyer for you? Or is this entirely a matching thing from their perspective too? It depends because usually when we have conversations with small business owners, a lot of them have what we like to call an acquisition team on hand. They have their accountant, they have their banker, and they have their lawyer. And most of those professionals could help guide the deal for them. So most brokers, in my opinion, they're extremely valuable on bigger, more complicated deals. And those deals happen north of $5 million. Complicated deals that need confidentiality, that require deep negotiation, that require very difficult valuations. So I would say that's the space where a broker is extremely valuable. But in the micro market, like I said, it's sort of overkill. And it's overkill to the point where a lot of these brokers would rather say, we're not going to service you. Or you know what? We'll service you, but we're just going to slap your listing on buyandsellbusiness.com. So we're kind of doing the work for them already. So now we're saying we want to move that relationship directly to the small business owner. So what do you want to chat about today? We, we laid it out pretty well. I think my main question is we're worried. We're still worried about our existing client base and mostly brokers like we've been talking about. 
We're worried about how they're going to react to this product expansion. We're worried that they might feel like our new offering is cutting them out. Like I said, we're still going to be offering our platform and supporting them, but our new offering is going to be just targeting a really niche subset of entrepreneurs and small business owners that aren't a fit for brokers, but we're still unsure how that's going to land with them. So I guess the main question is, I'm wondering whether you've ever been in a situation where you've risked alienating one target market of your business by trying something new? And how did you manage that? Well, the first thing is that there is no magic bullet here. As I was listening, it was becoming pretty clear to me that essentially you are taking what the business you used to give very politely to the brokers for the simple listing fee, and you're saying, I want to take that for myself. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the only consolation is you're giving these assurances that I'm only intending to take the small guys, the ones that you don't want anyway. And I guess the big question here is how dependent really are you on these brokers? What percentages of the listings that are on the site are placed there by the brokers? Is that the majority of the content or is that a small percentage of the content? I would say it's a pretty even split. We're probably seeing 30 to 40% of the listings being generated from brokers using us as a marketing tool. And then we're seeing listings from other professionals, such as franchisors and accountants. And then we're also seeing listings directly from small business owners. So they do still generate a substantial amount of listings for us. It's just the model isn't scalable, obviously. Yeah. And listen, this is such a classic, classic innovator's dilemma issue, which is you can clearly see the direction you have to go to take the business to the next level, but you recognize that by taking it to the next level, you risk losing your existing model. So have I seen this before? God, a million times, but I've seen it done successfully very infrequently, not because it's not possible to do it, but because it's very, very scary because there is no magic way to say, I want to do something which fundamentally is going to compete with my customers and keep them at the same time. You may be looking for something that fundamentally doesn't exist. I'm not to say there aren't possibly ways to do it. And we'll talk about those in just a minute, but just to give some examples of things that I have seen over and over again. And certainly one of the classic ones was Blockbuster which I was on the other side of. I was the little upstart who was coming after them. And it was grossly disproportionate in terms of size and scale. I mean, at the very beginning, Netflix was tiny, but that was right around the point where they began to recognize that video rental by mail, because for those people who don't know, it wasn't streaming then, it was all mailing DVDs to people. Blockbuster absolutely recognized that this was a viable category, that this was going to be a very viable way that people would eventually consume movies. I know this because I've now spoken to lots and lots of Blockbuster executives who have kind of told me they saw this coming, but they were in the exact same position that you were, is they would say to themselves, we really should launch an online division, which rents DVDs by mail which means that we now are going to be selling directly, renting directly in basically every single zip code in the United States. Well, wouldn't you know, 
We also happen to have stores in just about every single zip code in the United States. And even worse, a lot of those stores aren't owned by us. They're owned by franchisees. And at the very hint that Blockbuster might start going direct and by definition, taking business out of the pocket of someone in their division, in that geography, those people would raise bloody hell. And they'd say, you can't do that. You are, quote unquote, you're competing with us. This happened over and over again. It wasn't just a question also of the pushback they would get from the stores and the pushback they get from the franchisees. They would always say to themselves, it's a tiny piece of the business. Why would we allocate resources? Why would we take our very best people off of this part of the business, which makes $6 billion a year and allocate our best people to something which in a good year is going to be 10 or 15 million. So they never did anything. They didn't have the courage to actually realize this is the future. And if we don't do it, then we're going to let someone else get stronger and stronger and stronger, which of course is what Netflix did. Uh, I have another example, and this is a client that I worked for who I'll remain nameless, but they were a large manufacturing company. And the product that they had was the number one product in that category. It was a brand name that you would absolutely recognize. And they sold it the classic way. They would manufacture it, and then they would sell it to distributors, and the distributors would sell it to hardware stores, and then the hardware stores would sell it to the consumer. And everybody was happy until someone came out with a product which was similar, like in your case, similar, but was much cheaper because they were selling direct to consumer. And of course, the people running this big manufacturing company weren't stupid, and they saw where this was going and said, this is great. All we have to do, we'll launch a direct consumer division and with our more powerful brand name with our more powerful resources with our money we'll shut this down before it gets any traction and they announced plans to have a direct consumer business and all hell broke loose their half million dollar a year salespeople said how dare you sell direct you're making my job harder well i'm gonna quit and then the distributors would say oh you're gonna compete with me all right, I'm going to drop you. And then, of course, the hardware stores would go, why should we carry this product when you're also selling it and you're competing with me? And then abandon the plans. And I know where that one's going to end, is that the competitors can get stronger and stronger and stronger, and they see what they need to do, but they don't have the courage to do it. So fundamentally, Nunzio, in my opinion, for you, it's going to come down to largely how confident are you in what you're doing? How much courage do you have and how can you do your best to mitigate the damage? Not, is there a way to avoid the damage? Because I fundamentally believe there's no way to avoid the damage. With the acknowledgement, I don't understand the nuances, sure. but you are absolutely going to do something that you in the past have been very happily passing over to your brokers to handle, for which they go, well, thank you very much. And of course, a lot of them are going to say, Things like, why am I going to give you $150? Why am I going to put my listings there when you're just going to steal them from me? And they would be, in my opinion, perfectly entitled to say that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. This is the fundamental <laughs> moment of truth for an entrepreneur is where you get to this point and you can clearly see what it requires to take the business to the next level. And it's going to require this element of risk. You're going to have to march through this valley of death to get to the other side. But that said, you are going to come at this with overwhelming force. This is not like saying, Oh, this is awesome. They charge 9%. I can do it for eight and a half. No, you're going to go, Mr. and Mrs. Business Owner, you used to pay $400,000 to sell your $5 million business. I'm going to sell it for $40,000. That's 
60, yeah, $60,000 extra in your pocket. And you're going to say, before, when these guys required you to put together all these long ledgers and P&Ls, and I can do it automatically for using my technology. And where they're requiring you to get a fancy lawyer and you're going to have to get negotiations and we have these contracts. No, we have a standard form, which we use, which for a $5 million business is more than adequate. I can make this quick, cheap, simple, easy. And the other thing is once you're in that business, once you begin getting your foot in the door, you become the broker and you are using it, this technology to power this thing. There's a million different directions you can go. If you look at what's happening in real estate tech right now and all the new models people are coming up with of ways to buy and sell real estate, you just slipstream right behind that and you jump way past Leo and his cigars and his telephone because you're willing to do things that are much more dramatic. So sometimes, Nunzio, you're just going to have to do it. Yeah. And I would encourage you to have the courage to do it. That said, you're going to lose people. And so if your definition of making this transition is it's got to be seamless, I can't have a down tick in my revenue. Well, don't bother then just keep on getting better and better at your advertising based model. Yeah. What you want to do is hold on to as much as you can for as long as you can. It might be that you have to begin building a Chinese wall and say, for the listings that you put in, I don't touch those. Or you do that strange thing where you say you get commissioned anyway. I mean, you guess that doesn't work because you have the 1% versus 10%. But it's looking for some way for you to hold on to them as best you can, even though it may mean the business model doesn't work in the short term, but it's buying yourself time to get some traction. I'm not sure whether you said, give me a percentage, but you want to now focus your resources on the listings that come to you directly. Exactly. There's two levels of competition. One is they pay you the 150. They now list Marianne's ice cream store for sale. And they go, we found that client and that's not yours. And in some ways they're right. So you may have to say, no, for your listings, I can't touch those. Mm-hmm which means you just begin focusing on having this division and finding yeah. some arbitrary division. And it could be you use an economic line, you go 4 million and above, 4 million and below, or some other weird dynamic you can to say, I need to nurture this one category of the ones that I'm the broker of record for. Yeah. And Mark, we're trying to implement creative mechanisms. But one thing that keeps me up at night is brokers and realtors are already by nature very competitive. So it's going to be a scary and exciting journey for us. But I think it's, like you said, it's a necessary journey. And we want to make this bold bet to move away from our current model and really dive deep on the full servant subscription model. And we're betting on the future. And, and I think the fact that more and more entrepreneurs and small business owners, especially in the micro market, are becoming more and more comfortable doing deals online while having the right tech and right tools to get it done right will create a perfect environment for our solution to really take off. Yeah. It sounds like the time is right for that business like yours to be basically hands-off, fully automated for yeah. the most part. If you lose the broker business, it might even be better because then actually you can compete with them without having to worry about insulting anybody. You can sure. just go after those listings yourself. And the truth is too, Mark, many of these brokers and professionals, they're not even thinking or even touching SaaS and e-commerce opportunities. They're very focused on traditional brick and mortar 
deals. We're positioned, obviously, to service both now. So we could potentially even be seeing more uptick from SaaS and e-commerce opportunities. Those types of businesses that want to exit using familiar technology. You know, I was just thinking of something. What would happen if you shifted your model right now to rather than charging $150, whatever your listing fees are for your brokers, if you change to a success model for them? That's another thing that we've considered. But once again, it's the whole nature of that profession. They're very competitive and rarely will they want to cooperate on sharing their commissions. Very rarely. True. It might be just a way to say you can keep listing with us and and now you pay nothing for the listing and everything looks the same, which is they all say make an offer. And if they click through on one of yours and it actually sells, you owe us 1% of your 10%. I'm not saying it's going to solve the problem, but it may mitigate the damage. Yeah, that's great feedback. Yeah, your narrative is mitigate the damage. And I think that's a good approach. You know, the last thing you started off by saying, wondering if I had had experience doing this. And if the one that I think back to is also a Netflix story. At the very beginning of Netflix, we were trying to do DVD rental when there basically were no DVD players out there. The clever solution we came up with was partnering with the DVD player manufacturers, which meant that I had to go and spend months trying to get these big, conservative, massive consumer electronics company to do a deal with this ridiculous startup doing DVD rental by mail in California. But I eventually did it, and I had convinced pretty much every single player manufacturer to put a coupon in for anywhere from three to 10 free rentals. And it had taken me months to get those deals. And one of the reasons it was so difficult to get them was because the supply chain is so long that it wasn't like they could just slap it on. It was a nightmare. And the reason I'm telling you what a nightmare it was is in fall of 1999, a year and a half in, we finally stumbled on the business model that actually was repeatable and scalable, which was subscription. It was crushing it. It was doing so well. And the problem is 95% of the customers coming in the door were coming in asking for their three free rentals or their five free rentals or their 10 free rentals. And we didn't want to give them three free rentals or five free rentals or 10 free rentals. We wanted to give them this no due dates, no late fees subscription business. We had to basically say to a customer, when you come in, no, no, you're not getting three free rentals. You're getting a month of free rentals. And then automatically you're being rolled over to a second month. And we're asking for a credit card up front. And I was terrified that Sony, Panasonic, Toshiba, Samsung, Sharp, you name it, would basically hunt me down and kill me for having (laughs) gotten them to agree to convince a million people in this conservative, slow-moving company to do something. And now all of a sudden, I was going to change the deal. I was going to bait and switch the customers. And I just had to do it. And I had to risk the fact that they would all be pissed. And it was really an incredibly hard decision for me. But lo and behold, it was the right one. It was the right one because we had to. Yeah. The free rental business was not working. And that's where I draw a lot of my inspiration, Mark. I draw a lot of inspiration from that. You know, when I read your book, I read that part of your book. And I think you were mentioning something about you knew that the subscription was the future and there was no point in continuing to work in an a la carte past. So you had to have this willingness to abandon parts of your past in service of the future. And when I read that, I was like, wow, okay, this is exactly where I'm at right now. It's scary, it's exciting, but 
it's something that I truly believe in. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing as walking away from selling DVDs, focus on renting them. It's the same yeah. thing of saying we're not going to spend any time and attention on renting DVDs in service of streaming. It's saying we're going to be totally willing to walk away from all of our deals we have for someone else's content to make our own. It's this willingness to walk away from what you've built to do what you know is right, even though the short-term consequences may be severe. In the long term, you have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And it gets harder and harder the more successful you are. So Nunzio, I expect you to come back in a year and a half or so and say, oh my God, this 10X the business, but now I've got to pivot again. Now it's really scary. <laughs> That's a plan, Mark. That's a plan. <laughs> okay. Well, this was great catching up and really cool to hear what you're working on. And I think what this next six, 12 months is going to bring is going to be exciting. So I'm even serious. Maybe don't wait a year and a half until you've 10X the business, but maybe we check in again in six, nine months and let me know uh, whether you're now in hiding under an assumed name because the brokers <laughs> are coming after you or not. Absolutely, Mark. I'll definitely reach out for protection from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do it again. All right. Many thanks, Nunzio. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Listen, Nunzio knows what has to happen for his company to thrive. He has to take on the brokers, risk his current business model, and become that one-stop shop for the sale of small businesses. It's pretty self-evident he has the right vision. But how he gets there, of course, is a matter of execution. It'll take savviness, creativity, and courage. We'll check back in a few months to hear all about the strategies he used to maneuver this transition, as well as learning why they sometimes say, be careful what you wish for. Well, that's all for today. And thanks to my guests for entrusting their business to me for a little while. I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest, fill out the form, and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph, or on Instagram at thatwillneverwork. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.